Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from October 29th, 2023. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Now, today's scripture reading is 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nemishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from Abel, Melahoah to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped from the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death all who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed, bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. We bow to him. Father in heaven, thank you for this day that we can come together and worship you as a church family. 
Father, we ask that you bless this time that we have together, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 519. 519. Only in thee, O Savior, mine. Oh, <laughs> 
you are present, you've always been present, um, that we will not always have these troubles, that better, better days are ahead of us. I pray that you will help each of us not to be fearful and to trust in you. Today we are thinking about Stephen, Kenneth, Maria, Phyllis, Leanne, Pam, Debbie, Manuel, Amy, Wes, Ray, Dina, Chuck, and Stephen. We love them very much. Um, Lord, you know what they need, and I pray that you will bless each of them and help us as we uh, try to be a support to them. Please be with the community of Lewiston, Maine, as they mourn and heal. Um, bless those who are attending to the victims and their families. Lord, gun violence and mental health are such a huge, overwhelming trouble um, in our country and in the world. And I pray that you will bring about the solutions and peace that we need. Um, thank you so much for bringing us all here together. And um, in his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Thank you. 
out of 541.
And DGR stood for define the relationship. I don't know how many of you use this language in this campus. It's a big deal. So I remember when Beth and I, we were dating, when we first had our DGR, and I went back to my friend, we've now defined the relationship, you know, whatever the relationship is. So this morning, I want us to kind of define our relationship as church and what it means to be church family. And I want us to say a couple things out loud that we may not have said out loud before, but I think it's things we all believe and things we've talked about, but some things I kind of want us to share. Um, first and foremost, church is a family. And uh, small church does this well. I mean, I love big churches. I love medium-sized churches. I've been a part of all different sized churches in my life. But I really think small church does family well. And even this morning, it was hard to get started with service because people were just enjoying being family with one another and, and talking and just looking forward to seeing each other. Specifically, a lot of people travel and stuff, fall break and whatnot. And to be together and kind of excitement with Halloween week and what are the kids dressing up and that type of thing. And uh, I just want us to say out loud that healthy Christians have a church family. And I want you to know that I have a lot of friends in my life who believe in the Lord Jesus. And, and they don't have a solid church family. And there's a benefit. And I'm not, that's not like an unfair judgment towards them. They'll be honest with me. They're like, man, I wish I had what you have. And that's not necessarily Ackland specific, but just kind of like, I wish I had a community that I felt that way about. And it healthy Christians have a church family. One of the things I've been most excited about the last few years in this space is our students that have gone off to college and they have found a church. They have found spiritual community. Some of those churches look a little different and do things a little different than how we, how we do things here. But I love the fact that they, they had this default mindset that to be healthy spiritually, I need to find a church. I need to find a group of believers. And it's looked different. Some of it's been more like campus ministry, parachurch ministry. Some of it was finding the local church of Christ. Some of it was finding another, another Protestant group. But it's been really cool to see. Because I pray we all have those instincts of what it is and how much we need it. I was really touched by Kelly's comments around the communion table uh, last week, and I emailed her and asked for a copy of that. These were some, some comments she found on, on Facebook by a gentleman, Sharad Yadav, and uh, I enjoyed her citations, and we judged later. She goes, well, I'm a scientist. Of course, I cite things. And then I realized, yeah, my profession doesn't have that good of a reputation on citing things. But anyway, uh, I asked for a copy of some of the things she shared. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. But a few things about what it means to be church family. And just three of them, three of the lines specifically I want to mention is to be part of a church family is to commit to a social circle you did not get to choose. And I think that's so true. I mean, in a sense, you all chose to walk in these doors this morning. But you did not know who else would be here. And there are people here that you wouldn't have chosen. And some of you are thinking, and that guy happens to be talking right now. Not Jesus, but like, like, right? You ever find yourselves in conversations here and you're like, man, I don't know that I would have chosen. You know, I've used just an example, you know. You ever been 
me and Justin, I think Justin and I would have chosen each other, but like, you know, we're talking and it's like, we just bumped into each other, we're talking, we didn't necessarily choose each other in that moment, and yet here we are. So many other aspects of life, your social sphere is specifically curated, but not at church. Another thing Kelly mentioned, being part of a church family is a way of practicing among a small group of people over a significant period of time, what you'd like the world to be like. And we believe that here. When we come together, we are practicing. We hope it's the kingdom of God to say, we hope this is what the world someday looks like. Now that means we have to shine the light on ourselves, and we've had to call each other out, and we've even had to change some of our practices at times to say, we don't think that's what God's calling the world to be like. And we need to align ourselves with what we believe God is calling the world to be like. And then lastly, one of the quotes I really love. Being part of a church family is a life lesson in how to deal with difficult people. And there's more to it, but I want to pause there. Being part of a church family is a life lesson in how to deal with difficult people. All of us have been difficult for each other at some point. We made it through COVID together. That was difficult. We have made it through so many weird political things, and I'm sure more are coming. That was difficult. Okay? I'm not saying that anyone in here is a difficult person. I'm just saying at certain points, we've all been difficult, right? I've been difficult. You've been difficult. But we learn how to deal with difficult people without retaliating, dehumanizing, or running away. And that's a temptation for all of us. But to be church family is to commit to not doing that. I want you to look at the scriptures uh, that I chose this morning that are in the bulletin. And they're all about what it means to be church family. That first scripture is from 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 18 is that, that famous duel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal with the fire coming down. One of my favorite Sunday school lessons growing up as a kid. I always picture it with a felt board. Um, but chapter 19 has been even more meaningful to me throughout my adulthood because Elijah complains to the Lord, I am the only one left. And that is a lie that we so often experience. That we feel alone. And Elijah felt alone. And he goes back to Mount Horeb, which is the same name from Mount Sinai. So this is the mountain of the Lord where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. This is Sinai. This is Horeb. And he goes back to that mountain, and he experiences God, and God says, in essence, you are not alone. There are 7,000 other people that are still following me. You are not alone. And one of the things we do when we come together as church, we remind ourselves that we are not alone. And that's why church is not just a worship service you experience and then leave, but church is a family relationship. A social contract with one another to remind ourselves that we are not alone. Amy read Psalm 46, God is our refuge, our ever-present strength. She confessed how she sometimes has fear. I confess that I sometimes have fear with all the things that are going around the world and the things that I don't know how I'm going to overcome. And yet, when we come together, I tell you, I leave on Sundays with courage 
because I've been around you. With hope, because I've been around you. And it is a reminder when we come together that God is our refuge. Our last reading to close out the morning is going to be from Ephesians 4. This is beautiful part where Paul reminds them that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And he's writing to a church that is so divided. And he talks to them about the oneness of our calling. That we are unified. And unity is not the same thing as uniformity. We are not all the same. We don't have to all become the same. But we are unified under the Lord Jesus. And then the gospel reading that I want to... We'll stand in just a second for this, but I want to give you the context. This is Luke chapter 9, where they have just expressed fear and suspicion about the Samaritans. There's this long relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, and they've expressed fear of them. And they're concerned about the proverbial other. And they're very concerned about who's going to be the grace in the coming kingdom. If Jesus is indeed Lord, they're all picturing who's going to be captain, who's going to be lieutenant, who's going to be assistant regional manager, all these various things, right? They're trying to figure out what, what is my role going to be, power brokers. And Jesus says, I want you to look at it in a completely different way. If you would stand with me for this gospel reading from the Lord Jesus and join with me in the bold section, feel free. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Together, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And one of the things... We wanted to say this morning, and the elders and I have talked about this several times before, is this idea that there are, there are many congregations out there, and there are many streams of the Christian tradition, but we proclaim that there is one church, and we're all on the same team. And it's important to say that and to claim that. What we see in this passage is that there were other people out there casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and the disciples got mad because they're not one of us. I'll be really clear. They were casting out demons in the name of the Lord Jesus. They weren't casting out demons in the name of Moses. They weren't casting out demons in the name of Zeus. They were casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And then they say, they're not one of us. And what Jesus is trying to say, if they're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, they're part of you. You may not like them. You may not agree with them on everything. But if they're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, y'all are on the same team. And that's important for us to say out loud and to not get lost in the American branding of churches and to feel like we're some type of franchise. Our movement, Churches of Christ, begun... 200-something years ago, with this sense of 
all the denominational splits in Christianity have been divisive. We're all on the same team. And one of the great slogans is, they would say, hey, we're not the only Christians. What we're saying is, we're Christians only. Now, over time, like so many movements in history, the movement kind of calcified at different points and became unhealthy in certain points. But here at Athlone, we cling to that original spirit. Trying to say, we're not trying to say this franchise is better than other franchises or something like that. We're just trying to say, we want to claim the spirit of we're just simply Christians. We're not at war with anybody else. We're just simply Christians. There are, there are reasons, legitimate reasons, why I am not Catholic or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Methodist or Southern Baptist. And I'm happy to tell you all those reasons at some, some other time. But I tell you, I have dear friends, dear friends in all of those streams who I learn from and I grow from and we encourage each other. And so kids, what I want you to know is when you go out, I want you to know we're all on the same team. If they're talking about Jesus, it's family. Now, that's a big statement. There are definitely things to look out for. I'll talk about a couple of them here. But um, if they're talking about Jesus, that's a place. That's a place to find family. I want to briefly do three things this morning. I want us to talk about how to choose a church, how to thrive or flourish in a church, and I'll do some, I don't think we've ever talked before, I'm talking about how to leave a church. And I think it might be a unique conversation for us. And I'll go quickly on the first two because I want to spend time on the third. So how to choose a church. If you find that you move or just act on or becomes a good fit for you or kids going off to college, how to choose a church. The first thing you need to look for are beliefs and a belief system and beliefs that flow into healthy practices in a way that fits for you. And I had a mentor taught me through this some years ago. It was very helpful for me. I want you to think about primary, secondary, and tertiary beliefs. Tertiary third. And primary Christian beliefs are things that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. God created the world. Jesus is human and God. The Bible is God's word. God is both one and three. Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? And Jesus someday will return to judge the living and the dead. Like these are the big overarching concepts that Christians have believed in for 2,000 years. And those are the primary aspects. And all the types of traditions I just mentioned, they all believe in those things. And those are primary. Now, within that, I think we want to be careful of kind of two extremes. Okay? That I've seen and I'm constantly looking out for. On the more liberal side, I will sometimes see people talking about Jesus as Lord. But as I listen more, I sense that they don't believe in the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus, the literal physical resurrection of Jesus, is a primary thing that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And that is a primary thing. I also sometimes sense a cultivation of suspicion about the Bible. I believe the Bible is very complicated at times, and there are parts of it that I still don't understand. But when people start to cultivate a suspicion 
a default suspicion about it. That's a violation of a primary thing that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. On the conservative side, I sometimes see people claim Jesus is Lord, but when I start to dig in it, I start to sense that they are using Jesus as a tool for some other objective. And it becomes a God and country. The phrase Christian nationalism has become popular in recent years, but it's become this God, country, apple pie, American flag type of thing. And so they may give lip service to these primary things, but if you look, it's a violation of these primary things. And I've seen those on kind of both left and right of the ideological perspective. But I'm going to say, there are things that are primary, but one thing I want you to notice is it's kind of a short list. It's not a super lengthy list. Secondary things are the reasons why we have different denominations. Okay? Because these are different beliefs on what we might call the sacraments, baptism and communion. Now, different people have different beliefs on baptism and communion. These also may be different beliefs on how the Holy Spirit functions. You may have gone to a Pentecostal church with your friends or something like that. This may be whether or not women can be ministers, and we've talked about that at our church, and some people left. And I understood why they left, because it's not just a who cares issue. Like, it's important. It's important to people on all sides of that. And I believe it's a secondary type of issue. It's not primary, but it's not tertiary either. Like, it's an important thing, okay? And then tertiary, this becomes things like worship style, the type of ministries the church has, whether or not they sing out of hymnals or they sing more praise songs, um, whether or not they have a kids group or a youth group or something like that. And so when we're looking for a church, we first need to make sure those primary things are lining up. And then, kids, I would encourage you, those secondary things... Study the scriptures about it. And that's another thing. I've been so excited about our college students that have gone out and participated in spiritual communities and where they have encountered things that are maybe a little different than what they experienced here. They studied it, you know, and, and, and they did that work. And I was encouraged by that. I thought that was a beautiful thing. Second, when we're choosing a church, if a church is a family, we need to choose a group of people that we think will be a good family. And that we think our lives will sink in a way, not that once again that we're all the same, but our lives will sink in a way that we can encourage each other. It's, uh, it's almost like when you're dating and you're like, they may be a wonderful person, but are we a good match, right? And when you're finding a church, you want to make sure it's a group of people that are going to encourage you, that are going to give you hope, that are going to line up with you, uh, but also be able to speak the truth to you about some things. And some of these are things of, is your life schedule and the way this church does life schedule, are those things going to line up? And then third, and I would not have added this to the list 10 years ago, but I'll add it now. When you're looking for a church, make sure that they do not take themselves too serious and they can admit when they're wrong. I have become very hesitant to be involved in faith circles where people do not admit it when they're wrong. Um, I have found that those can be very toxic places to be. And so here, when we make a mistake, and maybe we need to admit other mistakes, 
but we try to acknowledge it. Okay, and that's a sign of a good, healthy group. Once you choose a church, how can you truly flourish in the church that you are a part of? And one of the things you really got to do once you choose a church, you got to commit to it. And and I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about a perfect attendance certificate, and I'm not tra- trying to talk about a new form of legalism that says you're going to go to heaven because how many times you go to church or something like that. I'm just saying. Somebody in my life means a lot to me and will always say, man, I wish I had the relationships you have at Ackland. And I was like, well, how that's going? He's like, I went to this church for a year, but then this happened. I went to this church for a year, and then this happened. I went to this church for a year, and then this happened. I'm like, that's why you don't have what I have. I mean, I didn't say that. I just listened a while longer. But what I was thinking was, that's why you don't have what I have, because you haven't committed. You haven't committed. And you've got to commit and you know this from your other relationships, right? You've got to commit to a relationship to get the good stuff out of it. Okay? There are Sundays that my sermon is so boring for you, or you disagree with it, or it flops, or that Larry... Larry always does a great job. I don't know why I brought you into that, sorry. I don't but either. I don't either. Like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. But, like, there are Sundays... I'm, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm going to have to leave. And now you know how to choose again. Perfect. Full circle, right? But maybe the donuts are off one morning, the coffee's too strong, like whatever, okay? But we commit to one another. And I found my satisfaction in my human relationships is connected with the amount of times I do things I don't like to do. Okay, now once again, I believe in healthy boundaries. This is, none of this is a violation of consent or anything. But it's like, to be a part of a healthy relationship, sometimes you're going to do things that are not your favorite thing to do. But you do it because the other person likes it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But every person in this room has been in a 10-minute conversation here at church about something you really didn't care about. But the person you're talking to cared about it. So you smiled, and you listened, and you asked follow-up questions, and then you left, you're like, I don't know if we were talking about Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. It was one of those, but I'm not sure. I don't know if we were talking about the Titans or UT. Like, I, but, you know, but you listen. Like, that's what it means to commit to something and to do sacrifice. And then lastly, how to leave a church and when to leave a church. And the reason I wanted to say this now is no one here has told me they're thinking about leaving, okay? So if you're like, why is he saying this to me? No one here has, has told me that recently. From time to time, people share that with me. Um, kids, you'll probably be a part of seven to ten congregations throughout your life. Sometimes you will move, and then sometimes you'll be in the same town, but you'll just change for whatever reason. Um, I think it's healthy to not skip around every two or three years. But I, some of the people I trust the most in life, they did 10 or 12 years at a church, and then God led them to kind of some new theological understandings, and they went to be with the church that they fit with better, and then they did 10 or 12 years there, and then they got interested in homeless ministry, and that church didn't do homeless ministry, so they went and found a church that did. Like, sometimes you just change churches, and that's good and healthy. And we've had people leave Ackland over the years, and that can be kind of an awkward thing. But what I want to do in the next couple of minutes is I want to, us to develop a game plan of how you can someday leave Ackland without any awkwardness. 
And I want to be really clear. I don't want anyone to leave. The elders will be very upset if the church is half the size next week. <laughs> if you start to feel like Ackland is not a good fit for you socially or theologically or spiritually, I want you to come talk to the elders about it. I want you to come talk to me about it. Because it may be something we can work on. We are constantly trying to figure out how we can be in tune with, with God's will and how we can be an encouraging place for everybody. And there are always things we're working on, and it may be we're thinking about the same thing you're thinking about, right? So come talk to us about it. And when you talk to us, it may be something that we can't do anything about, and it may be that the Lord is leading you to a different church. Have you had friends here that they didn't come for a couple months, and you kind of text them, and you didn't want to be the, like, heavy-handed you haven't been in church. What's wrong with you? But yet you wanted them to know they were missed. And if you experienced the awkwardness of that socially from time to time, I certainly have. We'd like to get to the point that if you feel led to another church for any reason, that we can, we can talk about that. And then we can discern that with you on are you being reactive or is that really where the Spirit's leading you? And then we can stand up on Sunday. Can I pick on you again, Larry? We can stand up on Sunday and say, hey, the Larry Chan have been praying about this. They've been talking about this with us. And they feel called to start looking for another church. And we want you to know we love them and support them. And they're not living on bad terms. We're sending them. And I think that's a very different thing. There's not the awkwardness about it. And there's a reminder that, hey, we're all on the same team. This is not a franchise. We're all on the same team. And we don't want there to be awkward. We want to celebrate people. We've had some people leave here and it's kind of awkward. Like, are they gone? Are they coming back? And some of them did some of the best ministry that's ever happened at this church. And we didn't get to celebrate it. We want to celebrate. And we want to sin. And we want to make it where... Even if you go find a different church, you can come back and visit and it's not awkward. My dad talks to me about this. They left the church 30 years ago and it's kind of awkward how they left and it, he always felt awkward about going back to visit. And then he was at another church about 15 years and then they left that church and they're like, we're just gonna be up front of that. So they told the elders while they were leaving, they told the whole church while they were leaving, but they said, we love you guys, we'll be back from time to time. And Dad says he goes back and visits that church about once a year because of the depth of relationships. He still loves all them. He says it's not awkward because of he communicated and their family. Here's the deal. Akron's like the Hotel California of churches. Like, kid, old reference. There's a sense in which you can't ever completely leave. You're always going to be family to us. We put people's birthdays in the bulletin sometimes that we haven't seen in several years. Okay? You will always be a part of our family. Because there were these precious years, whether it was two years or 20 years or 30 years, when we broke bread and we took communion together. You're always going to be a part of our family. No matter what the sign on your church says, you're always going to be a part of our family. But here's what we want to claim, and here's what we want to name, and here's what we want to say this morning. Healthy Christians have a church family. We were not meant to do this alone. And when I look at you this morning, I'm so grateful. 
so great to be church family with you. Let's take this serious. Let's be reflective on it. And, uh, and let's, let's be attuned to what God is doing. Let's pray before we sing. What are we saying? It is well with my soul. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord God, I thank you for every single person in this room. And when I close my eyes, I think of all kinds of other folks that have been here. Some have gone on to be with you. Some are doing amazing things in other congregations this morning. And then some of the folks that are here will be here another 40 years. And some will go off and do amazing things at other congregations. And Lord, help us to just be excited about that. Help us to be unified. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, and to be unified even in disagreement about secondary and tertiary things. And Lord, when we see someone driving out demons in your name, Help us not to be threatened, but help us to say, that's my teammate. And to be excited about what's happening. Lord, we thank you for this church and what you have done through this church and that we are part of the global church as well, the one church that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Thank you, Lord. It's through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my
who was the like six foot four, 300 plus pound left tackle of our high school football team. Um, so that went really well for me. <laughs> and I remember uh, the first time that we had to do the bench press together. Um, he's obviously been doing bench press for most of his life at this point, I suppose. And um, his warm-up set was like 225 pounds. And so we like loaded the, the plates. This is probably nothing for Isaiah over here. Um, but we loaded the plates on there and he like did 10 reps with ease and racked it. And he was like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, I'll do what you can do. I'll do the same thing. And um, I remember uh, as I like lowered myself under the bar, thinking to myself, like, I really hope I don't die right now. Um, and I like gripped the bar really tight. And I was thinking in my brain, like if I can just get like somehow some moment of extra strength to just do like one rep, and then I could like maybe fake an injury or something after that, like maybe this will work out for me and I can like save face here. Um, and I remember grabbing the bar and lowering it to my chest and I pushed up with all the strength I had in my entire body, and the bar went nowhere <laughs> at all. And I was just pinned beneath the bar. And the strength and conditioning uh, teacher, coach, he came over, I was like, what are you boys doing? And um, Jamie Howell's obviously laughing at me, and he like helps rack the weight. And um, he looked at me and he said something that I'll never forget. And he looked at me and he said, you can't get stronger until you realize how weak you are. He said, you can't get stronger until you realize how weak you really are. And that just really stuck with me. And I think about communion, and I think about this as a moment where we as a church family participate and acknowledge in the fact that we are weak and that we needed someone stronger to come. And we needed other people to also acknowledge and participate in that same reality. And so as we take communion together this morning, my prayer is that um, we as a church body acknowledge and participate in the fact that we needed someone stronger. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus who came um, and rescued us. And he lifted that weight uh, that we could never lift on our own. And God, we just pray that as we um, take this bread, that we will remember the body that he sacrificed, and that we as a church family um, can rest in your strength together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
God, we pray as we take this cup together that again we will acknowledge um, how great and how powerful you are and that we will um, rest in that sacrifice that you made for us and the blood that was shed. Um, God, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http://ackland.org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.